Well, good evening. I'm glad you could be with us tonight. Um, happy to be filling in for Pastor Rick, uh, who's just getting a, b- a bit of a chance away to catch up with some of his personal life, and, and I think he's out with Lynn tonight. Um, so that's good for them, and hopefully it'll be good for you, because um, it is good to, to meet around the Word of the Lord. I want to talk with you tonight about a passage in, cha- in Matthew chapter 12. Um, be going over something that I'm sure will be familiar to many of you that have been in church, but I want to continue with the theme that uh, Pastor Rick has been talking about, sort of freedom, but we have been looking together at one side of this whole freedom equation is the trap of legalism. And so tonight, uh, I pulled out some notes from, um, from my archives, uh, something called Descending the Mountain, uh, which hopefully uh, will be clear to you as we go along. But it'll be good right now, uh, as you get ready and as I gather my thoughts, just to pray and ask the Lord to to give us the strength to look at his word and, and to be, let, it, let it inform us and let it shape us. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for each person that you've brought to this place. And Lord, we just believe that you speak to us through your word. And, and that's why we, we gather like this to open up your Bible and, and look at it carefully, believing that the things that you said to people um, long ago, Lord, that your spirit uses those same words to shape our lives and and direct our lives today. So, Father, we ask that you'd, you'd keep us open and attentive. Um, may you use your Holy Spirit just to transform us today. And, Father, we ask that as we study your word, you'd help us to be free people. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I want to talk to you about something that offended me. Not, not that anybody here did it, so that's good. So I get to speak with license. But um, when I was about... 18 or 19, I used to travel in a worship band, and we used to get to go to some places. We actually came to Calvary one year, um, but we had traveled into a, a little place in southern Ontario and uh, went to a church, and they had brought several churches together. There was this one particular minister who, who kind of had a traveling circuit, and he preached in one place on one Sunday and preached in another place on another Sunday, and he gathered all those churches together for a worship service, and he brought our band in to, to lead part of the worship. And we had a great day. Um, back then, it was unusual uh, to meet on a Thursday night. Uh, so, you know, it was a Thursday night worship thing. And I remember one of the comments making back then is like, whoever gets together to worship God on Thursday night? Well, that was back then. A lot of people do midweek ministries now. But uh, we'd had a great night, had a great turnout. And just as we were un, um, undoing everything that we set up for the night, because we traveled with speakers and subs and guitars and keyboards and drums and everything like that, um, we would spend some time afterwards kind of relaxing with the people we met and, and getting to know people and often interacting with the church leadership that was there. And usually that would go well. We were a bunch of fun guys, we thought, and, and it wasn't unusual to be invited to hang out with people afterwards. And that's exactly what happened that night. The the minister, I don't think he was a pastor, I think he was a minister, um, that might help some of you in a second, but the minister said, sure, you know, we, we'd love it if you guys would come and hang out with us. Now, keep in mind, we're all young men, college age, just beginning college. He said, a couple of us, after these things, we like to go together, we all meet at my house, I bring some of my team, and we go back and we just, we have, we have a beer. That's what he said. Would you guys like to come and, and just, you know, knock back a beer with us? And I remember sitting there, Having grown up in our Baptist church, and it's, and it's not that I am unaccustomed to adults drinking alcohol. We have a bar in our basement at my parents' house, not at my house, right? We, have, we grew up with that, and, and that's a custom in our culture, and I'm used to that. Um, my parents set a pretty good example about self-control. But what I wasn't used to was a pastor-type person inviting me as a young man to go and have a drink. Anybody ever had that experience? Maybe you don't want to say because if you've been here, it's like, wait a second, who was that? Right? Right? We have quite the opposite experience. We have, we have rules. We have sermons. We have a whole bunch of things guarding us and saying, beware the evils of alcohol. Be, stay away from these things, you know. We, we set up rules. We're just trying to make sure that you young people don't get in, in um, any trouble and people that are recovering from alcohol don't get in any trouble. And we don't want to trip up our younger brothers or our struggling sisters and, with this problem. So it was really hard for me to understand why this minister, who didn't know us, was offering us an opportunity to come and share his beer. And I have to admit, I, I, was, I was surprised by the question. Um, I really didn't know what I felt, but I was, I was just surprised, and I was, I was kind of like mad at him. I was thinking, man, you're, you're really using your position in the wrong way. You're, you're, you could be tempting us. And I got really judgmental. And for whatever reason, um, we said no, of course, and we went home. But I've always remembered that, thinking, 
Why did I say no? What was, what was so wrong with his invitation, and why did it bring up such um, emotion in me? Right? And maybe you, you have been there. It, it's maybe more common to, to someone who works in a church, but often we're running into situations where people um, are, have all these questions about, do you drink? How, how, do you, how do you celebrate? Are you allowed to drink? Um, sometimes people show up at our house, and they bring us drinks as gifts, and we don't know what to do with that. And really... This occasion of, of, of drinking, I'm just using that as an example because Baptists, we talk about not drinking a lot. But it just helps us see that we have dr- drawn a line somewhere. We've made a rule about drinking. And it's possible, and I think we're often challenged about it, that the line that we've drawn goes a little bit even further than what Jesus used to do and say. And, and, and when, when someone comes and gets close to one of our rules, we can feel, um, if they break it, we can feel offended. We can, we can feel confused. Um, sometimes we, we, we f- our feathers get ruffled. Sometimes people um, just stop getting along, right? Oh, if that guy drinks, we're not going to go back to that church. How can you have a pastor that invites his congregation for a beer afterwards? I mean, it would be strange, right? We, we normally do ice cream after a fellowship. But if the next time we get together, Pastor Rick is up here and says, by the way, everybody, we're glad you could be here. Would you please join us out in, in, in the breezeway for a couple beers? It just, it's just, it just seems so strange to us. But that's the moment that I had. And, and we weren't joking, right? And that's as it settled. He's, he's, he's not joking. He's, he's serious. And I was like thinking, do I, can I, can a Christian go and drink with a pastor? Now, I know sometimes you guys might wonder that kind of stuff, right? If, if, if a pastor joins you for supper, you're like, which drinks do we bring out? Right? The stuff that we use when nobody's looking or the stuff that we use when everybody else is watching. So I bring this up because I'm that kind of person that puts my finger in a problem and, and presses it and says, oh, there's a problem here. But we, we have this kind of anxiety over our legalism and, and, and the, God's word about drinking. So I just want you to feel that, right? And I think that's a tension a lot of, a lot of us could share. Um, and I couldn't tell you the other one that I had, so just leave it there. You want to know about it now, don't you? Oh, boy. I'll tell you. But, in a, but I, I didn't like this one either, okay? There's, there's people out there that really get under my skin, and, and I'm, I'm going to reveal some of my own conservativeness here. So if, if this offends you, I am sorry. But um, I think I'm right. Uh, <laughs> also, I wouldn't say it. But here's the situation. When I, when I became a pastor, not the senior pastor, you have these different titles for people that work in churches that they're not the senior pastor. Everybody knows what to call the senior pastor. Senior pastor something, right? But when we were starting in churches, we weren't at a church like Calvary Baptist Church with all these different pastors of different departments, right? Youth pastor, all this stuff. You just get to be the guy who is um, connected with the senior pastor or linked to the senior pastor. And you have to go through these different titles. Like first, you got to be a director because you can't be called a pastor, right? But then there's this day that you get to be called pastor, but they don't want there to be any confusion, so they have to give you like a, a previous title, something that goes in, for, in front of it. And for some of us, they settled on this one word, the associate pastor, okay? And so a couple of us associate pastors were joking about, about um, abbreviated titles. And, and what it meant to be the associate pastor. And, and particularly if you had to get like an abbreviated name put on the doorway of your room, right? And people would have to come down the hall and see the <laughs> pastor. And I remember when these guys were joking about it and they were having a great time. And I was so offended. I thought, how can we as pastors be joking about such terrible language? Right? That's where I was feeling. And I, I've always felt that way about people that swear. Just like, how can you? You're Christian people. You're not supposed to swear. How can you do this? Right? And I used to get all fussy about it and, and be mad and like walk away from people and, and just couldn't handle that kind of stuff. And I remember those people joking about that, saying, you're an associate pastor. Right? And I thought, it's so, so wrong. You know? Doesn't God tell us something about that? And then you have these guys on TV using swear words to provoke audiences. Right? I would never have the courage to come here and drop any type of language to just make you guys feel something. But, um, but sometimes people do that. And it brings us right up against those rules that we're sometimes we're not sure. Have we defined something for ourselves or has God defined it for us? And when we come up against those rules, we, we can have problems. And, and the real problem I see here is when we have anybody living with that kind of legalism, what do we do with our fellowship? And when we enforce our rules instead of God's rules on someone, sometimes our fellowship suffers. Now, I love the church. I love getting along with people. And I think church gives us an opportunity to get along with people. So we want to figure out this legalism stuff so that our fellowship does not suffer. Would you agree? 
right? And Pastor Rick is telling me, he's a couple generations ahead of me, he says this is a big problem for the church of yesterday, particularly. We have a new problem now. The church has no rules anymore. But, um, but in the past, there were a lot of rules, right? And some of those rules are still kicking around and forming our lives and, and giving us a problem. So Jesus used to talk to people in this situation, and he used to really bug the Pharisees because they were the ones that had all the rules. And in, in Matthew 12, we're, we're going to see that he comes up to some Pharisees, and he's doing something that offends their rules. And it just came up in a natural situation. And, and, it, and they got all bent out of shape, and they have to go to debating over this. And Jesus takes them on, and he begins to teach them because he loves them, and he wants them to get out of this trap of legalism. So um, uh, if we look at the passage, Matthew 12, verses 1 to 14, I just begin to read it. If you don't have a Bible, you can listen along. Um, if you do have one, you can follow along. Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and, he, and his companions ate the consecrated, consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or, haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Then going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Did we pray? Did I do that? Let's pray. If I didn't, let's do it again. Heavenly Father, I do ask that you just bless, bless our time around the word. Help us to understand um, what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have, we have this situation. Jesus is just walking with his disciples. They're going through the grain fields. They pick some grain, and then suddenly they're being accused of doing something wrong by the, rele- the leading religious sect of the day, right? And Jesus has to say something. So what was the problem? We all understand the rule about the Sabbath, don't we? It's in the commandments. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. On the seventh day, rest. Nobody in your house should do anything. Okay, that's the basic rule. That's in the Jewish code. It's in the Ten Commandments. That's what the Pharisees launched off of. Okay? That's the rule. It really was there. It's really written down. You can turn back and see it in Exodus chapter 20, um, around verse uh, 8 to 10. It's, this, it's the um, commandment about the Sabbath, to rest. There really was a, a prohibition in the Old Testament on working on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees launched in on that. But the Pharisees were a group of people, much like ourselves, who wanted to be righteous. They really didn't want to be accused of doing sinful things. And so they looked at these rules and said, you know what, we can take it a step further. In fact, we can go a lot better than that. And, the, and they came up with actually 39 other rules about the Sabbath to make sure that people didn't work. And so when they saw these people crushing grain in their hands to eat, eat it, they said, you're working on the Sabbath. And they said, you're sinning. It's clear to us. So that's the Pharisees, wanting to be righteous, and they feel they've got a point. And then the perpetrators are these people. They're, it's actually Jesus and his disciples that they're accusing. What a situation, right? These people that are desiring to be religious and righteous, accusing the Son of God and the people that are actually following him of sin. It's an interesting situation because, again, here's a chance for fellowship, and the Pharisees are about to miss it. So we want to look at it because uh, legalism can threaten our fellowship. It can, remend- it can render our community and our life together a sham just on the surface because we could be pointing fingers at each other over things that matter a lot to us but aren't really there in Scripture. We kind of imagine it, taking it one step further and not really doing the things that the Word of God says. So I want to look at it. And the way that Jesus helps these people get through this, he's trying to teach them, and it's always great to see Jesus teaching about situations because I always think he probably knows exactly the way to get people out of the problem. And he really has them examine. 
examine what they're talking about. I know that's not an exciting word. It's not really an encouraging word in terms of, but, but we need to examine stuff because that's what Jesus does. These people were picky. They followed the law. They studied. They knew stuff. They understood this word inside and out. They lived by it every day. They went way on, way beyond what it was, was necessary of anybody else. So, so that Jesus could say to people, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Right? So they set a standard, and Jesus talks to these people on terms they could understand. and says, let's consider your case. Let's examine what you're actually saying. So if you follow through the passage, which I'm going to break up for you, I'm going to, I'm going to show you how he, he challenges and says, you can get off of this legalistic mountain of rules that you've built up for yourself by just looking at what you're actually saying. And he says, let's examine a couple of situations where people in the past have actually broken my rules and not been wrong. That's the case that he sets out for them. Let's, let's look in the past. Let's look at Scripture, which you already understand, which we both agree on is some type of authority for us. And let's look back at some people that we, we would both admire and see that they've actually done some things that broke the Sabbath commandment. And yet, they weren't condemned. And so that's what he does. So he, he brings up two situations from the past in Scripture. He talks about David, and he talks about priests. All right? So... In chapter, in chapter 12, verse 3, he says, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Right? This is the story found in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 to 6. David and his men were running from Saul, and on the Sabbath they came into the tabernacle or house of God requesting food. But all that the priest had was consecrated bread, which only he and the other priests were supposed to eat, according to Leviticus Chapter 24, verses 5 to 9. So they ran into this problem. There's a written rule about this bread. They're hungry. They come in. There's some food there, and they're not sure they should eat it. They should eat this food. This happens to me almost every Tuesday morning when the ladies meet. They, um, they bring some food into the, into, the, into the office, some of the extra stuff. And you know that rule we have? You're not supposed to take things without asking. And if people haven't taken anything, you probably shouldn't take the first thing. Those kind of polite rules, right? I hate it when I get to the church first and nobody else has taken the food because then I'm not sure if I can eat it, right? There's like this rule that's preventing me from doing it. Well, David and his men, they're hungry. They're, they've got, he's got his army guys and they walk into the temple and, and they're hungry. The tabernacle story, they're hungry and they want this bread and they can see it. It's right there. It's fresh. Smells good. Sunday, right? And, and, they, and, and they ask the priest, can we eat the bread? And the priest is well aware of the, of the rule and he says, yes, you can eat the bread. You can have this bread. You can, you can feed your men from this bread. The priest thought it best to give David the consecrated bread. So this situation that Jesus brings up tells us this. It tells us that sometimes ministering to people's needs requires a little bending of the rules. Okay, I'm going to repeat that a couple times here. Sometimes ministering to people's needs requires a little bending of the rules. Okay? So he talks about David. Then he talks about the priests in the temple. Um, in, the, in the temple, the priests were there on Sundays, or it's not Sundays, the, the Sabbath day, the seventh day, the day of rest, right? And the priests were supposed to go into the temple, and they were supposed to do actual work on the Sabbath. That's how the whole thing was set up. They had to go in. They had to, they had to make that bread. Um, they, they had two important jobs to do on the Sabbath. While everyone was supposed to be resting, they were to change the consecrated bread and perform the double burnt offering. So they had to kill things and clean things and prepare lambs for offerings. They had to bake 12 loaves of bread. So they had a lot of work to do. 12 loaves of bread, I think, takes a while. Does anybody make bread without a bread machine? Right. I know my mom used to make bread. She makes, I'm going to talk about food tonight. That's a good thing to talk about. My mom used to make raisin bread at New Year's. And she would make, uh, she would get up in the morning and knead the dough and let it sit and rise. And she'd put those little um, napkins over top of it. It would have to rise. She'd come and punch it down and let it rise again. And then at night, she'd put it in the oven. We'd have to wait. And the whole thing would smell up the whole house. And we'd have to wait until midnight. And we wouldn't go to bed until the bread was ready so that we could have buttered bread fresh from the oven. But I got to tell you, I know it's a lot of work to make bread, not just one loaf, but 12 loaves, right? So these priests doing this bread, ripping these animals apart. I've never cleaned an animal. Kelvin has, right? Jen probably has, <laughs> right? I know it's work, right? So these, these priests were working on the Sabbath. And you've got to imagine, Jesus is so smart, he picks these two people that the, priests, that the Pharisees would like, the priests and David, and he says, look what these guys were doing. You've got us up here accusing us for crushing some grain in our fingers, 
Yet the priests did all that work on a Sabbath, and God doesn't condemn them. In fact, he commanded them to work on the Sabbath. Right? And so here we get that same thing. Sometimes, ministering to people's needs requires a little bending of the rules. Right? This is huge for people that are, that are legalistic. Right? So he says it in that way. And then a little later on the passage, he, he doesn't talk about the, the scriptures anymore. He talks about something that's just from their own life. He says, what about sheep? Let's, let's leave scripture for a second. and Let's see if we can see this principle in, in the world. He says, what about you guys? You have some stuff. If you have a sheep, and none of us have sheep, but if you have something that falls into a hole and it's important for you to get it and it's down there and you look and you say, I want that thing back. On the seventh day, are you going to stop and see that, that piece of property that's yours in the hole and say, it's the seventh day. I guess I can't do anything about it until the first day. He says, no way. He says, you are going to, going to get in there, get that sheep. You're going to, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> you are going, they said they were going to heckle me and harass me up here. So they're doing that a little bit. Um, you would pick up the sheep and, and work to get your property, right? So he, he has the Pharisees cornered here, right? He's got a three thing. He says the same thing. Look, sometimes ministering to people's needs, because he says the sheep, if you do that for the sheep, you'd have to do that for the man, right? So sometimes ministering to people's needs requires a little bending of the rules. Simple principle, Jesus is trying to help. So he's trying to help these people with this concept that should help them realize that God works with priorities. God works with priorities. I, I wrote that down and I was like, wait a second, that, that's what he's saying here. God works with priorities. I always, I'm one of these people that thinks if God says something, it, it's all the same standard. But this shows me that God works with priorities. There are things that God really wants done and he doesn't want us thinking that some, following some little rule that we make means that we don't have to follow the bigger rule. All right? He means lesser rules never override the need to follow the greater ones. So in this situation, what we have here is the, the Pharisees failing to understand that God desires mercy. Right? It's not that God doesn't require obedience. It's what God desires, mercy. He wants, he wants his people to be merciful. He wants his people to have a certain character about them, not just to be people that follow a rule blindly and apply it without any sense of compassion or mercy or understanding. He wants them to practice mercy. He wants them to have the same heart he has. He wants us to share his heart for people. And that's what the Pharisees are missing, and that's why Jesus has them examining what they're saying. He says, look, look at what you're saying. It doesn't even match up with my word. You're sitting here on a mountain judging people thinking I've kept these 39 rules of Sabbath and that allows me to point a finger at you because you're breaking one of my rules and you're failing at the most important thing. You're not showing them who, who I am. You're not showing these people my compassion, my heart, my, my mercy, my love. And you're about to condemn the Son of God and the people that are actually following him because they're not following your rules. That's legalism in a really bad way. And it's keeping them from Jesus. So, we need to look, when we are looking at our rules and, and looking at the things we've done, I've, I've mentioned drinking, I've mentioned swearing, or, or strong language if you like that. We need to look at a variety of situations to determine which rules take priority and which ones aren't worth arguing about. We must be careful to avoid condemning the innocent as the Pharisees had done to the disciples. That's what Jesus is instructing us to do. Don't just look at that little thing that you're upset about. Look at the whole revelation of what God has said before you're going to point a finger at people that are following Christ and say, you're not following the rules. And really, as I say the rules, I'm, I'm, I have tension because I want you to understand that sometimes it's really easy for us to say the rules are God's rules when we've just really talked about our own rules. Um, one of the good things that happened being a youth group leader one time is I was, I was doing a lesson on language for our students at, at my other church. Uh, the church I was before this. And I was talking about, you know, Jesus clearly says we shouldn't use bad language, right? And I was very clear about that. And I really understood that from the passages I was studying. And then one of the students, or some of the students, asked me later, well, what about sarcasm then? What about sarcasm, Pastor Duane? I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about all the other ways that we express meanness and not the heart of God with our language, right? I was just thinking, well, if someone says one of these words that are on the outlaw list, they're sinning, right? And my students caught on and said, well, wait a second, doesn't God care about the, the heart of... They didn't say it this way, but they were challenging me. They said, Pastor Dwayne, you're actually really sarcastic with us. 
right? And they were, and they were, they were absolutely right. I was. I had never thought about it. And, and they, they took me down a peg because I was just considering the application of one little rule, and I'd built on this whole standard of I'm better than everybody else because I don't say those words. But man, did I, I took those kids apart every time I could with sarcasm. And they challenged me, and they corrected me, and it was right, right? So I, they challenged me to look at a variety of situations to determine which rules take priority. Is it how we speak to our brother or what we say, right? God wants us to speak with his love to our brothers and sisters. So whatever it is that doesn't express, that's wrong. Not just a word or two that you're comfortable with or not comfortable. Let's go on. So he's having us examine uh, his, the situations in Scripture. But then he, then he moves it up. He says, okay, that's the case in point. Clearly, Pharisees, actually, you're wrong. That's basically what he says. You're, you're actually wrong. God does this all the time. He, he cares. He, he's not going to stop these people from eating. You're not expressing the heart of God. But he says, let's, let's talk about something else now, something a little bit more challenging. Let's, let's look at authority, Pharisees. Let's look at authority, legalists, right? Let's look at what your understanding of that is because I think it might need to be reset. I think we might need to do a little work there because if you're out here condemning the Son of God, who is the authority, you're taking authority from him and claiming it as your own. The rules. Whose rules? Your rules or God's rules? Right? Might be good to do a little aside. Why do we, why do we make our rules? Pastor Rick had thrown us a great picture this morning of Linus and his security blanket. You were here this morning. You saw the picture, right? But why, why do we do that? Why do we, why do we like to make these rules for ourselves? I think it might be because rules help us to feel comfortable. They let us know when we're right or wrong. They let us know who else is right or wrong. It helps us get along. We, it's a natural thing is what he suggested. And I thought, it's true. We do, the, we do this as people. It's part of how we, we function, and it does creep into our religion and, and our practices of that. But we like to make these rules because we don't want to be wrong. And we feel uncomfortable when, when people wrong us, right? And, and here's an example. Tonight we all sort of understand a basic rule about how to sing Jesus all for Jesus. Right? Everybody knows that song the right way. Without the space. <laughs> right? Right? I, I, I was there. I've heard Robin Mark sing it. Right? He, he, that's an artistic license that our brother Jordan put in there. And you're like, wait a second. Right? And all of us are like, oh. Okay, he'll correct it the next time. Right? And Jordan's like, no, I'm not going to do it that way. Right? But there's a rule. I mean, it's not a moral rule or anything like that, but the rule helps us all get along, and someone comes and changes the rules, and suddenly we're all like, I don't know when I'm supposed to sing, and now, now if I sing at the wrong time, people are going to hear me go like, ah, right? And it's just, it's uncomfortable, right? So we make these things, and I think security blanket is such a good idea, right? Because we wrap ourselves in them. We, we come into Christ, and, and we come up with a few things that we can keep and, and follow, and, and we get a bunch of people around us that can keep and follow those things, and then we, we make that little blanket, and we hold on to it, and it lets us feel good, and that's why we make our fellowships, and we give them titles, right? This is the Baptist fellowship. This is the Pentecostal fellowship. These are the teens. These are the women. These are the men, right? And, and everybody knows when you meet under those titles, you have to act that way, right? So when I meet with the adults, under the titles of the adults, I got to wear shoes, I could, I don't want to wear shoes tonight, but I got to wear shoes. I have to, have to dress in pants, right? I have to use larger vocabulary, right? As opposed to jeans. <laughs> I have to dress in pants. <laughs> I, have to, I have to follow all these rules because we have, we have things that make us feel comfortable, right? And if, and if I get away from those, as I've been told my whole life in school, that people just won't listen to you, Dwayne. If you're not dressed properly, they're going to turn you off. They don't really care about God's word. They want to know what you look like. I mean, that's, that's, what, it doesn't, that's not how they say it in seminary. They say it with academia behind it, right? They say, no, you really have to serve the people, right? But then it really comes out like, no, you have to wear some nice shoes, and you have to, you have to be careful, and you, you can't move around too much, and you have to speak. They, there's all these rules, Right? And if you break them, then sometimes they'll say, you don't really care about the people. You just care about yourself. Or, and so we have these rules. My only point is to say we have rules. When we break them, we understand. They make us uncomfortable. So security blanket is why we do it. We, we make these rules for ourselves. We go further. We find people that agree with us, and we wrap them around us, and we keep the blanket on. Now, here's the thing. When you put it all the way up, it makes you blind to what the truth is. Right? 
put it all the way around you, you're going to be blind. And Jesus begins to say that. And he, in fact, he, he attacked the Pharisees all the time. You blind guides. You don't see the truth. You don't understand what I'm teaching. So he comes up and says, let's look at authority. You're not the authority inside your little security blanket. I'm the authority everywhere. So he says, his first point, um, I've got my notes messed up here, but his first point, he says to them, you're, you, authority doesn't come from you. When he challenges their authority, when he says, wait a second, let's, let's look at Scripture, and he basically defeats their case. He says, I want to let you know authority doesn't come from you. It comes from the Word of God. He points them back there and says, look at this. This is what the Bible actually says. Let's let that inform what we're going to do here. Um, the Pharisees had created their own religious standard called the halakha. Okay? This is a set of rules that means to proceed or, or walk about. Basically, they were concerned that everybody around them in Judaism was going to follow the rules of God, and that would make their society better. There was three political groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the people I forget. Right? But there were three groups, and, they, and they, um, the Essenes, I think they were called. But they had different rules. They, they wanted to do different things, and the Pharisees were the most popular group. They were the religious group. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. They were righteous. We would, we would like them as Baptists. They would fit very well into our, our culture. They were biblical. They were evangelical. They were, they were concerned with right living. They gave a third of their, give their money to the, to the church. Right? We only asked for a tenth, right? so we'd, we could use some Pharisees probably. Um, right? But, um, you know, they would fit in. But Jesus said, authority doesn't come from you. Even though you've made up this rule, this set of rules to help people, it really isn't what I wanted you to have. And you've taken my word and my will one step further, and now you have uh, this well-intended law that has replaced the word of God as the final authority of matters of acceptable behavior. Do you understand that? I know that's a long sentence. But we've set ourselves up with these rules, and then instead of the Bible, which we don't often read, we live with these little rules. And that's what we use to quickly judge people, right? A a, a small set of things that matter to us and may not be the main priorities in God's Word. He says, when you do that, you're making it, you're the self, the authority, and not God's Word. One commentator described the halakha as a mountain hanging by a thread. All their rules with such a little connection to what the real point of was with God. And he, he said it's a weight for his people. It was a weight for the Pharisees, and it was killing them. It was a burden. That's why Jesus would offer you, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest, so that you're not carrying this, these rules on you any longer. He, he really cares for people. So he says, we aren't the, the authority. We are too are going to be judged. Uh, you and I don't make the rules. We don't have the authority to determine right and wrong in the ultimate sense for everyone everywhere. We just don't have that. It's never been given over to people to set up the rules. Not an individual, not a church, not anyone. It's, it's the prerogative of Jesus Christ who represents our Heavenly Father, the Lord. So he says authority comes from Scripture. And then he says, finally, in verse 6 and 8, he basically says, ultimate authority rests with me, the Christ. Now, what does he say there? Uh, Going back to verse 6, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So here's the, the real issue, I think, with our legalistic behavior. Whenever we are making decisions about what's right or wrong, left to ourselves, or left to ourselves in our little groups, we are claiming Christ's authority. We are sitting saying, okay, we have have a certain amount of understanding as a church together, and that gives us wisdom, and we've read the scriptures, and now we're making a rule, and, and we're saying, good, you know, we've got everybody together, and we have consensus, and consensus is the authority. But Christ says, no way, I am greater than the temple. I am the one that understands God's words. I am the one who is Lord of the Sabbath. He's claiming a link with the Creator. And he's totally taking all the authority basis away from this group who thinks they've found something to stand on and point fingers at people, and then, of course, they're doing it wrong. I was trying to think all the time, you know, what, what is some, some example of this where, where this is really true in a church that we, that we do these things, that we, that we make a rule, that we get consensus on, but we never had authority to do that. And then I tried to think, what could I say that wouldn't get me in trouble? Right? So here's one that I can say. Because we're not not there anymore, but we were. Right? Dancing. 
right? At some point, at some point, community-wise, we, we had associated dancing with sin, and we, we taught our kids that you can't go to dances, and I'm, I don't teach kids to go to dances, but we all understand. Um, we have that understanding of rules, right? And how it translates is that as a do- denomination, we can't dance, right? Not just because of the rules, but because you can't actually dance. But, you know, but we actually have a whole culture based on a whole history of, you know, dancing is worldly and moving in certain ways is worldly, and, you know, Christian piety is reserved and still and, and calm, and, and, and people are like that, and sometimes there's lots of people like that, and maybe they all hung around in Baptist churches and they agreed. Do you think dancing's right? No, dancing's awkward. Dancing's sinful. Let's make a rule about that. No dancing, right? Now, fortunately, I never found a place where they did that, but they wrote rules like no movies, right? And they wrote rules um, like, uh, you know, no cards, I've heard. I can't even believe these were rules, but I, I know people are smiling at me. I've heard, you know, no Arthur. There's a TV show that the youth are telling me they can't watch Arthur. Right? There's different TV shows. I'm just giving you an example of real rules that we do because I want you to understand when Scripture talks, it talks to us. Okay? I, I, I just, I think that we're, I think you guys are talking too much, actually. But um, <laughs> I think that well, we need to understand that the Word of God is not just interesting, but it, it, it's trying to tell us something today. And it's trying to tell us something about these rules that we carry. Anything that's left over is what we, we're, we need to begin looking at in our lives. What are these things that we are carrying still that are our rules? That don't represent Christ's authority, which represents us stealing authority from him and claiming authority over him to say, you know, look at that person. I think they were a little bit too exuberant today in worship. Don't they understand that you're never supposed to bother the person beside you? Isn't that the way we really come down to that? The limitations, like, we got people, I would sing louder, but I don't sing very well. And I would hate to be a distraction in worship. Jesus would hate it if I was a distraction in worship. In fact, if Jesus came in here and saw me making a fool of myself, man, he would, he'd send me out and probably send me away. That's what Jesus would say, right? Does anybody believe he would say that? Of course you don't. When you, when you bring it up to Scripture and you think, actually, that's not anywhere in Scripture. There's not a place that I can say that Jesus would say, calm yourselves down, people, I'm here. <laughs> right? It's just, it's just not, it doesn't express his heart. It doesn't express his desire to see people worship. And yet, for us as a community, we have that. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong that we have it. I'm just saying when we start saying and, and using that as a way to say, well, I'm going to sit away from those people there because I think they've I think that they've gone a little too far with that one that's a problem right you can sit far away from them because you don't like getting hit in the face with your hands right or you might want to sit in a different space because you don't enjoy the volume coming from their mouth but you don't need to sit in a different space because you think they're sinning and that's how it comes down is that when we, when we don't listen to Christ's authority we begin to point fingers at each other and we separate over our own rules and not God's rules. So the one who calls himself Lord of the Sabbath is the same one who is calling you to set your standards by his teaching and practices and by nothing else. In this passage, I see that he's inviting us to examine everything we've believed in light of the truth that he brings to this world. And, that is, and his number one concern is this. God is, he works with priorities, and his number one concern is Relationships. I don't mean to simplify the gospel by saying this. I, I think this is actually profound in that we're still working on understanding that, to not make it something trite, like I'm, I'm glad I have Christian friends, but something deep, like I have Christian brothers and sisters, right? Something deep, like we share one spirit, you know, one baptism, one faith, one Lord, that kind of relationship, right? But his primary concern is that he has these relationships, and, and any of the rules that we set up are not supposed to destroy the relationships that he's created, and he prays for that we'd have one with another, and also our relationship with him, the Heavenly Father. And that's how you can begin to judge your own life and decide, am I legalistic in something? When I, when I respond to some type of invitation to go somewhere with a drink, how do I talk to my brother about that? Do I condemn them? You might want to pass on some good advice. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, do, do, I, do I go from that invitation and begin to condemn them either to their face or probably what happens is gossip and say something, I was with so-and-so. Do you know what they were doing? They, they have wine in their house. We're not supposed to have wine. I know it says that in the Bible, no wine. Something 
There is wine in the Bible, right? Jesus says, when I come back, we're going to have a feast. I will drink with you, right? We will, we will do this. Clearly, the rule is about drunkenness, right? But we have made a rule, which we keep, which is a wise rule, right? But how we deal with that as we come across brothers and sisters who choose to participate with or without alcohol is not a, a reason to separate or judge anybody. Now, I can say this rule because I know that everybody has a private practice with alcohol. I don't drink. If I find you drinking, I don't care. If I find you drunk or drinking in excess or tempting someone to drink, these are things that I know that Scripture is telling us about. I do care because now you're leading your brother into a place that Jesus never wanted them to be. Do you understand the simple difference there? Right? We can have fellowship even though we have different opinions about what to put in our closets. So let's say I've been able to communicate some of my stuff to you here, and, and you're thinking, okay, I, I'm still one of these people who's still holding on to a, a thread, a, a thread that's holding on to this mountain of rules, things that I use to, to, to say that person's bad, that person's good, and I'm with the good people, and I don't associate with the bad people. Jesus is happier with these people. He's not happy with these people. And you're doing that, and you realize, wait a second, none of that is actually biblical. It's filled with good intent, but it doesn't share God's heart. It's not doing anything right. And then furthermore, when I find one of these rules, I use it to condemn a brother and sister. What should I do? I want to give you four tips um, to, to help you trying to get down off this mountain. And the reason I would do that is because the way this passage ends is kind of scary. If you really think about it, and really think about what the Pharisees had set them, themselves apart from the world by following all these rules, they really wanted God to be pleased with them. Right? And they came to this point where God had sent his son. He'd sent his son. And I don't know what I'm doing here, Jordan. Thanks. Sent his son, and they didn't recognize him. And in the way that they were living, still with their own legalism, it says this. At the end, Jesus is right there challenging them, saying, I'm the authority, I'm the son of God, I'm the one who the Sabbath, who's Lord over the Sabbath. I'm talking with you right now. It says, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus in verse 14. So they totally respond to him in a very different way. And then, and then it says in verse 15, aware of their response, aware of their response, Jesus withdrew from that place. Do you see that in verse 15? Aware of their response, Jesus withdrew from that place. Now, here's the thing. These people that were stuck in legalism, they, they turned away the Son of God. They turned away the true authority from God. They turned away the true example by who they should have set their standards away in order to keep their own rules, to keep things the way they wanted them to be, so that they could say to someone, you're working on the Sabbath, and we're right, even though Jesus says, you're wrong, says we're wrong. And so they plotted to kill their king, who they should have been looking for, and Jesus understood their heart and understood that they weren't concerned anymore in Christ and says he withdrew from that place. Now we pray every Sunday and probably every time we meet that God would be with us. You do that too. In your personal prayers, Lord, help us. I mean, one of the most common prayers that people utter is, Lord, Lord be with me. Lord, be with so-and-so. Right? That's one of our number one desires, that the Lord would be with us. And over this issue, it says Jesus went away from them. So here's, the, here's why this is so important to get rid of. And this is why I think it's great that we're doing Galatians. And I'm so glad to be able to kind of point us in this direction because we don't want Jesus withdrawing from us. We don't want Jesus to feel like you guys can have your rules. You can have your little security blanket fellowship. You can set up whatever you want. I'm not going to be there with you. Right? So here's the four things and then we can move on with our evenings. First, I would say that we need to spend much time in Scripture. That should be obvious to us, but right now, everybody's telling me that the church, the world, is getting biblically illiterate. That we don't understand anymore what God says. I, I, I find that to be true. Even though we can have Bibles all over the place, we're reading more books that talk about the Bible. We're listening to more people talk about the Bible. But fewer and fewer people seem to know what the Bible actually says. I can surprise most people at this point in my life and say, did you know the Bible actually says something about that topic? Like, really? 
Yeah, well, where do you think they got the sermon from? Where do you think the book was written from, right? People don't know Scripture. People don't read it. And God had it so that we could still know what he says. So you need to find yourself spending much time in Scripture, lots of Scripture, not just your favorite passages, not just one or two verses that support what you want to do or, or support your claim to say someone's doing the wrong thing, but lots of Scripture, lots of Scripture, lots of God's Word, so that you know his heart, because all of it reveals his heart. Some, some places you run into commands, but some commands we, we clearly say we don't follow the same way. And if that's all you know, you're not, you're not seeing what it is in God that has been revealed because he works with priorities. And over Scripture, we begin to understand that his priorities is forming his character in us, not just passing on rules. In fact, after the Old Testament, he's like, that way is done. I've come to put a spirit in you, right? So when you find yourself reacting strongly to something, um, and believing that God should also react strongly with you, consult the Bible to see if, what you, see if what you think is actually there, to see if that rule is actually there. If not, if you can't find it, you need to take a step down off the mountain. You're standing on, a, on, a, on something you've built that's man-made. You need, you need to change. If you can't find it in here, you need to change. Second, you need to pray that God would reveal weaknesses in your own attempts to be obedient. I was so thankful eventually after I realized that the students were right that I was sarcastic because it was such an affront to them because they, students notice when people are dual, right? It matters to them. That's, they're experts in what you're putting, you're, you know, we understand you're being phony with us. And I realized that every time I was putting on the big, I can't believe you just said that, I, people shouldn't talk like that, you shouldn't go to that place, and I was being all judgmental and distancing myself and pointing fingers, the whole time... I wasn't realizing that I was not expressing God's heart in the way I was talking with my brothers and sisters because I would use those opportunities to condemn them harshly, a lot of tongue-wagging, to make myself sound righteous and make them sound like sinners. Yet, I was hanging on to um, sarcasm, hanging on to to really crass joking, right? Hanging on to, to, um, to, to, you know, a lot of different things that I would speak with my tongue. It just weren't right. And I needed God to reveal my own weakness so I could see that the problem with legalism is that um, once you're trying to be holding the rules at such a high point in one area, you can't do it across the board. And that's why they were often called hypocrites, hiding behind something. Because I think we make those rules to make us feel comfortable, right? At least we'll all sing at the same time, or at least we'll all do it at the same way, right? And it doesn't really matter if we're doing it wrong because everybody else is doing the same thing. Right? So we need to make sure that God shows us where we're weak in our obedience. There are weaknesses in our fellowship. We're not formed to be like Christ yet. He's working on us day by day, month by month, year by year. We're getting better. We're growing. But we come face to face every now and then with something that doesn't conform with the heart and the character and the mission of God inside of us as a congregation. And we need God to show us these things. We need to understand that God accepts me because he knows I'm trying to get it right. Do you understand that? Instead of God accepts me because I get it right. God accepts me because he knows I'm trying to get it right. It's not just because I get it right. That's why Jesus came, because nobody gets it right. Even after we come to him, we still don't keep the law perfectly. Third, we need to learn about how other people who are doing the things that offend our sense of law came to a position, honestly before the Lord, where they believed that they could do that. Some people have freedom, right, over issues that we're hung up over. Do you, do you find those people sometimes? You've decided I will not do a certain thing because for me, that's going to lead me into sin. I don't have a good example for you, but some people make those choices. I will live in, a, in this small circle of freedom. And then we meet a Christian who is totally free to live in a bigger circle. You need to talk with those people because Jesus invites us to move into the bigger circle. He invited Peter to move into a bigger circle over food laws right? Peter, you live in this little world. And Peter said, of course I live in that little world, Lord. How would I ever eat those things? It would be sinful if I ever did that. And Peter said, well, guess what? I'm changing the rules on you. I want you to go minister to those people because you know what, Peter? I love them. So go and eat with them. He enlarged Peter's circle. And, and, he, and people had to learn from Peter. Peter, how did you go and eat with those people? They're eating unclean food. And they had to talk with Peter. And Peter said, guess what? I talked to God about it. And he said, that didn't really matter. Right? That's what he's encouraging us to do. You've got to go and talk to people that, that do these things, and you're like, well, how is it that you can do that? Can I have freedom on that? 
How, how can you be convinced that God's not going to be upset with me if I enjoy that? Can I enjoy that? Can we enjoy Calvary Baptist Church dancing together on a Sunday morning? Even if we can't dance really well? Could we enjoy that? I mean, could, could we really, from the front to the back, the oldest to the youngest, you know, we, we, we know our kids start off dancing, but by the time they get to our age, they'll stop, right? That's just better. Right? But could we get to the point where if for some reason it just felt right to move, we could do that? I hope that we could. Not just because it's important to me, but because it's not, it's not outlawed in the Bible. Right? We, live in the, we live in our circle because it makes us comfortable, but it's not outlawed in Scripture. And I've got to tell you, growing up with it, dancing feels really good. It does. It's great to move and praise the Lord. And I would love all of you to experience that and not to be concerned about what other people would think. Right? But we need to learn how people do that and understand where they come to these positions. And then finally, we need to stretch. We need to stretch ourselves into new realities. I can pick that word from Scripture. At the end, this man who had been healed on the Sabbath, Jesus healed him, and they asked him, Jesus, is it okay for you to heal on the Sabbath? He says, we don't let the doctors heal anybody on the Sabbath. We wouldn't want you to do anything wrong, Jesus. And he says, look, guys, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. If you would pick up your sheep from a hole, I'm going to heal this guy. Right? And he says, stretch out your hand. And he heals the, the man on the Sabbath. That word stretch, once we've understood that people are just behaving differently than us and not sinning, we need to embrace them too. Not retreat from them. Not cast them aside. Not condemn them. But we need to stretch and enlarge and grow and realize that God is trying to grow us. He didn't save us to be in a little tight circle surrounded by our security blanket of rules pointing fingers at everybody. He saved us so that we'd experience freedom. And in this passage in Matthew 12, I think he kind of lays it out in a way that's just designed to poke holes in all the flaws of the legalists of his day and say, you're not listening to me. You're not watching me. Let's do a little reset. Let's reset your understanding of what the scripture says. Let's reset your understanding of what the authority is. And guys, I want to invite you to live. I want to invite you to live. My disciples aren't doing the wrong thing. Why don't you follow me? Leave your little rules behind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Everything's right here. Um, Lord, I'm very aware that tonight I am your servant, just trying to convey what's here. And, and Lord, you, you said it so well, so I pray that people will come back and look at these things and look at other spaces in the Bible where you talk about um, why you condemn the legalism of the Pharisees. And particularly, why you invite us to follow you, Lord. You, you came to show us a different way to live. One that really conveys the Father's priorities in his heart. To love people. To work with that priority. To demonstrate your character. To be holy. To be set apart. But never to lose sight of it such that we're just sitting in a place where we're not even with you anymore. That you've withdrawn from us. Lord, may it never be that Calvary Baptist Church gets to be a place where we could use that name as a shield, as a blanket, and not have you here. May we never get to the place that we would chase you away in order to keep a rule that we have made together. May it never be so, Lord. Instead, Father, I pray that you'd continue to work on us, Lord. Lord, you've done some work already. We've made some big changes in, in the way that we've organized our fellowship, and you've brought us new people here. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you're, in, that you're drawing a new circle for us to live in. May we enjoy living in that freedom. Lord, will you help us to do that in Jesus' name? Amen.